You're Smarter Than Us is a proud member of the Soccer and Sweet Tea Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Check out all of the coverage of Soccer in the Carolinas at Soccer, the letter N, Sweet Tea.com. And that brings us back to the present and the Zack Attacks reunion concert. Friends forever. It's a nice idea. You're listening to the You're Smarter Than Us podcast, Asheville's premier soccer podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of You're Smarter Than Us. Extremely excited to um, have a couple friends on the podcast, a couple friends from um, a league, uh, the fans of a league that uh, as of a couple weeks ago, maybe I wasn't such a fan of and and we bantered back and forth, and now here I am eating crow and throwing myself at their feet, um, asking that they educate me and my fellow podcast listeners to um, the USL League 2. Guys, I've got with me Zach Hines. How are you, Zach? Doing good. How are you? Fantastic. And guys, I also have Zach Leishner with me. How are you, Zach? I'm good, Tim. How are you? Fantastic. So guys, both of the Zacks, um, we, we were just kind of talking off mic how we're going to have to, throughout the course of the podcast, uh, kick back and forth so that there's no confusion as to which Zach we are talking to. So throughout the course of the podcast, I'll be um, referring to them as Zach H and Zach L. They also spelled the name Zach differently, but that's getting a little too inside um, podcasting, I guess. But guys, I know um, both of you are ardent followers of USL League Two, specifically the South Atlantic division. And I think it's really cool that you guys are both on this pod instead of me kind of having you both on separately because you both kind of bring something different to the table. Zach, Zach H., can you tell us a little bit about what you do with NCFC, North Carolina FC, U23s in the South Atlantic division? Yeah, I'm the uh, founder of Cardinal Collective, the uh, independent supporter group for the North Carolina FC U23. And Zach Al, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with Tobacco Road FC? So I actually started working with the club uh, in 2017, and this has been my third year kind of volunteering with the club and helping them on a a bunch of things. And uh, I started with Soccer and Sweet Tea on the writing side in 2017 as well, which is what actually got me working with the club in the first place uh, on the side of things. So I covered them for two years with Soccer and Sweet Tea, and then the uh, website kind of changed a little bit of how we wanted to do some things. So, But I'm still working with the club and uh, helping them out uh, throughout each League Two season. So, Zach H., can you tell us a little bit about NCFC U23s and how does that function with the USL Championship Club NCFC? So good question. There's a uh, there's a little bit of give and play with uh, with how it functions. It's it's kind of a separate entity, um, kind of like how a lot of two teams operate. So there's a little bit of uh, back and forth. Um, 
we've had some some players uh, this season. Um, uh, our second string goalkeeper late in the season um, was a U23 player. He's a current academy player. Um, and it sees a lot of academy players coming up, a lot of uh, local college kids, and um, and then going up to the first team. Does the does the U23 team, does their success or the USL championship or championship team success, do, do they kind of counterbalance each other? Do you see a lot of um, players drop down or pl- players drop up? I guess you're not seeing too many drop down since this is still an amateur level. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't really drop down. It's more of a it's a more of a stepping stone um, in between the academy, college and um, uh, playing pro ball. Uh, uh, just uh, just off of this season, we had uh, five uh, pro players on NCFC that were former U23 or academy players. And how far does that academy go down? Does it go all the way down to U5s, U8s, all, U10s? All the way down, yep. Is that a product? Is, is that a pretty stout, healthy academy in the Raleigh area, which I'm sure is just you know covered up with different academies? All the academies in the triangle, um, I've uh, come under one brand. They've all kind of joined together under the NCFC umbrella. And within that umbrella, there's a couple of, uh, there's uh, uh, Liga del Sol, which is a um, Hispanic-focused group um, for uh, kids that can't uh, pay. Unfortunately, some of it is pay, pay, to, pay to play. And then there's also programs to, to, uh, to help it um, help underprivileged kids play ball um and so there's different programs like that throughout the triangle but it's all under the ncfc youth gotcha and zach l tobacco road is just completely independent they don't have as far as i can tell any wpsl team they don't have a team above them they don't have do they have an academy um so yeah they're uh fully independent um they have a relationship with triangle united uh which is the large, I'd probably say the bigger club uh, out there in Durham and Orange County. Uh, they play in, it's their, I don't know their actual size. Uh, I know they have boys and girls teams, and they've had a, a lot of players there uh, that before go, that transfer to NCFC or, or back in the day it was Castle. Before a lot of those players from Durham or Orange County <clears throat> actually kind of got really good and switched over to Castle, they all played for Triangle United. But uh, they, there's a, a weird partnership uh, between the two teams. Uh, it's not really, I'd say, a healthy one, but there is some uh, groundwork there. A lot of the coaches and owners actually for Tobacco Road uh, all coach uh, for Triangle United. So there is kind of a good, healthy relationship there. And from that standpoint, uh, a lot of the youth clubs that or kids that come to the games actually uh, play for Triangle United. So a lot of the ball kids that come and some of the kids that help volunteer at, at the games are actually uh, Triangle United players. So there's somewhat of a relationship, but it's not uh, anything like NCFC where some of those kids are getting chances. Uh, I, I I think there's just kind of two different agendas there. But Triangle, uh, sorry, Tobacco Road actually does do a good job with uh, they do some summer camps here every once in a while, and uh, there's a really cool little futsal facility that's downtown in the city that on the weekends that Tobacco Road does some free little camps at, so, which is pretty cool. But they don't have any 
anything concrete uh, under them. And there's no women's team a part of them at all. Uh, right now, they're just solely a uh, under-23 program that's in Durham and uh, plays out of Durham County Memorial Stadium. So, staying with you, Zach, Al, between NCFC U23's Tobacco Road and Wake, it seems like the Raleigh area, the Triangle area, is pretty saturated in this kind of U23 amateur summer ball. Um, what, what is the rivalries like between those three clubs? I'd say it's pretty good. So, the two main owners in charge of Tobacco Road, actually, um, they, they, they both live out in Durham and Chapel Hill, but they're not really big fans of NCFC in the sense of um, not necessarily hatred, but it's more of kind of a big rivalry between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they always love to try to compete with them and beat them whenever it comes to, you know, playing youth games against any, you know, no matter what NCFC team it is, we know they always are really competitive against them. And that's probably their biggest uh, league two game is against them. But funny enough, Wake FC actually started back in early 2000 from parents that were not happy with uh, Triangle Alliance or Castle back in the day. So that's how Wake FC actually got started. So that the rivalry between Wake FC and NCFC is kind of deeper than just on the field stuff. Is kind of more of what parents back in the day wanted to see and and weren't necessarily satisfied. Uh, with the two larger clubs in Wake County at that time. So Wake FC is definitely smaller, but I think they're improving uh, in the past two years with the U23 team for, for men and women for their academies. So I definitely say that they're growing and trying to, with how NCFC grew in 2017 with the rebrand and Castle and Triangle United or Triangle Alliance formed together to form NCFC, I think Wake FC need, realized that they needed to improve themselves or else they were going to maybe lose some kids to to one of the better academies in town, actually. But I, I'd say that NCFC has, has uh, rivalries, I'd say, with Tobacco Road for the U23 side. But then now with Wake FC having their uh, under-23 team this year, I definitely would say that the rivalry has increased to that level as well uh, with both players on each team playing in those academies growing up and then going off to college now and then able to come back home in the summertime and then continue to play against those rival clubs that they did as boys. So it's pretty cool to see. Um, but I, I don't think anything really between Wake FC or Tobacco Road uh, happened this year to, to kind of form a rivalry. It's more of just kind of, you know, with close range right now. But hopefully, you know, next year or the following year, some, you know, some on-field events would happen that would kind of cause it to become a heated rivalry. So guys, currently we're talking about the USL League 2 South Atlantic Division. And the way the table shook out last year was um, North Carolina Fusion U23s finished first. And uh, obviously Asheville fans will know them because that is who the Carolina Dynamo used to be. And the Carolina Dynamo we saw in the um, women's club's first year of existence. And this past year, the Fusion actually won their half of the WPSL um, Carolinas Conference and chose not to go to the playoffs, which gave the Eagles a bye and forced Asheville to go to Raleigh and play Oak City. So they're persona non grata for us at the present moment, just as an organization. Um, North Carolina FC U23s finished second. 
Virginia Beach United, who, am, am I right, guys? That was their first year in existence? Correct. Okay. Yep. They finished third. The Tri-City Otters, who Asheville obviously has the um, fantastic Blue Ridge Derby with. They're just over the mountain, um, up 26, and in Johnson City, Tennessee. Lionbridge FC, who I believe this was their second year of existence, and they're up kind of in uh, Newport News, Virginia. So they're, they're, a, they're a ways away. If we end up... On a couple podcasts ago, we talked about how um, when Asheville joins one of these two divisions, either the South Atlantic or eventually we're going to talk about the Deep South, they're they're going to have to shuffle the deck chairs a little bit to kind of figure out who's going where. But between Virginia Beach and Lions Bridge, those would probably be our farthest trips away. Um, Tobacco Road finished uh, second to last and Wake finished last. So, Zach H., what is the um, competition level? What's the level of play in this specifically kind of compared to what maybe our Asheville fans have been seeing in the NPSL? Right. The uh, the South Atlantic Division um, pulls a lot from uh, ACC, um, NCAA colleges, the high, high caliber. We get the NC State, UNCIs. Uh, Deacons, um, you know, just some of the, these really high quality soccer schools, because um, the the college kids like to stay close. It seems um, it seems during the summer, stay close to school instead of going back home. Or we get kids that grew up in the area, go to school here, and then uh, and then stick around. And so uh, last year, the competition was extremely tight. It, it came down to about the last two weeks. It was just constant back and forth of who was on first. It changed. Who was in first? It changed every week. Every result um, shuffled the board. It's a highly competitive division. And Zach L. T- Tobacco Road finished, you know, <clears throat> second to the bottom of the table. But it, but just looking at the table, they finished with 17 points. Virginia Beach United finished third on 20 points. So w- was there a certain amount of just kind of attrition that happened throughout the course of the season, where everybody kind of beat up on each other? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of been the trend now, especially over the past two years. Um, my, I believe it was my last year covering the team for uh, Soccer and Sweet Tea. I uh, wrote about it, and it was kind of the same problems that I actually NCFC senior team faced last year was uh, giving up a lot of points at the end of games. 2018, the team started off really hot, and I believe it was like top of the table for – the first three, four games, and then they'd always seem to hit a, a point middle of the year or middle of the season that they just kind of fall apart and start, you know, holding on to a lead and then they'll give up a point right there. Or maybe it's uh, they'll come back and, they'll, you know, last 10 minutes will be 1-1 or 2-2, and then, you know, they'll give up a late goal to, to drop points. So, I mean, that seemed to be the trend again this year. Not as much, I would say, compared to 2018, but that was just our big thing was um, <clears throat> was dropping, was just, just falling apart late in the game. And I don't know if that's just with some of the players that we had or if it was just, you know, a personnel decision or, or what it was. But that kind of seems to be their trend is the they really seem to just give up points late in the game. And, and that definitely shows in the table. I believe last year they finished around the same spot on the table but i something i noticed compared to ncfc this year was that the uh players that they were able to have available on game day was drastically different i mean it it would be 
some guys only played half a season or some guys were available every other game. Um, and then something that Tobacco Road has done the, the past three years is they like to sign some guys kind of mid, middle of the season, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't really too good since the season is so short. But they typically – I don't know if that's also from uh, guys being released from school later or if guys are taking summer mm-hmm. classes and they have to be on campus. Uh, but they like to kind of bring in some guys after a few games. So that, that I feel like that plays a big part into it of, you know, not having the same 20 to 30 guys from the start of the season to the end. It, it's, you know, having maybe 20 guys at the start of the season and then some guys maybe go back to school and then some guys, uh, you know, we get more players. So I feel like that's also a big trend as well. But, it, I mean, it's definitely competitive. I mean, there's really no i mean what is there 14 games in a season so it, it's very tough to uh, you know take one or two games off and then expect to still be able to make the playoffs sticking with these Zach L, there's I'm, I'm counting there's seven clubs in this division but there's 14 games how did did everybody play an unbalanced schedule mm-hmm. so i believe tobacco road if i can get it to pull up i believe that they were the only team in the division to play Tri Cities three times. Okay. Um, yeah, we uh, NCFCU twenty three. Every team had one team that they played three times, mm-hmm. I believe, and ours was Lions Bridge. Does that rotate? Is that a rivalry game? Is is that just kind of picked out of a hat? I feel like it's just kind of picked out of a hat. I, I'm not sure how the the league kind of determines that i think it's just kind of based on i think i feel like some of it's based on scheduling and uh availability and such Mm -hmm. because it was interesting that uh we actually were the team that traveled uh to i believe we traveled um to tri-cities we did actually we traveled there twice um but the first game was in um johnson city and then the second the second game that we played on uh which is actually the second to last game of the year uh, was actually in Boone at App State Stadium. Mm. So that was also very interesting as well. So I don't know if that kind of played a played a part into that decision as well. I I feel like there's there. I mean, it is unbalanced, but I'm not sure how the league kind of determines who all gets to play who. Zach H., one of the things that we've been extremely fortunate of in Asheville, especially the past two years um, since Coach Mick has been with us, is we've been able to turn over a a small portion of our team from year to year. Um, Generally, if a college player is an underclassman, we are very fortunate to get them back the next summer. In the South Atlantic, do you see a lot of continuity within the rosters as long as someone is in college and then potentially maybe even the summer after they've graduated? I don't know if I can speak to the league as a whole because I know they're, they're at, with like the addition of Wake FC, there was some roster jumping. And um, even during the middle of the season, there was a little bit of jumping. Um, but for the uh, NCFCU 23, I know there's a good amount of uh, retention from year to year. Uh, I know our uh, goalkeeper who plays for Clemson, George Marks, their starting goalkeeper, he ended up having leave early in, in the summer, um, but he's been with the U23s um, since he's been in college. Um, and there's a couple other players uh, for NC State that uh, have a good uh, retention rate. 
Um, I probably say that there's a good probably 25 to 35 percent of the roster that has been here the past uh, two to three years. Um, there definitely have been uh, some guys that uh, we get some older guys that kind of come back and, and play yeah. for us. Um, but I will say our cap, two of our kind of captains that we've had um, who are both actually, I believe they finished school last year. They've been with the team the whole time. Uh, both teams, four years of existence, they've been all together. But we have a strong Hispanic-based uh, group of players uh, that are all actually kind of from the same area of Spain together that are here playing uh, some smaller schools here in the Carolinas that all, that all kind of come back together. Um, but we've actually – some of the guys actually that are on NCFC this year, I believe it was two players, were actually on Tobacco Road the past two years. And uh, maybe Zach can speak – the other Zach can speak to this about it. But uh, with the way NCFC formed their team this year, some of the guys uh, jumped shit from Tobacco Road and actually went back to NCFC. But um, some of the guys that leave Tobacco Road are um, some of the guys that actually get drafted or get picked up right out of college once they finish college and uh, are playing in either MLS or USL right now. So some of the guys that, that don't come back are either playing professionally, um, but we seem to bring back a good uh, one-third of the team each year. Zach Gage, let's go to you. Um, what is the environment like at these games? I, I think one of the things that Asheville has become extremely accustomed to, and, and you know, depending on whether we're in the South Atlantic or the Deep South or they completely mix these up, I'm so excited for both of you to potentially get up here. And I know, Zach L., you were up here for, I think, a women's game this past summer, and it just poured and it dumped. And then the next day was, I think, the Classico, and they canceled it. But definitely one of the things that we're accustomed to and we're very proud of is, you know, this is all we have at the present moment. We, we don't have a USL championship team above us. We, we don't have necessarily a lot of, you know, we've got our Asheville City Academy, and we're building that up, but we don't have anything else that goes on really at Memorial throughout the course of the year. We've got our men, we've got our women, we've got, you know, whatever you add them up, the 14 home games that we've got. And we, we just create a hell of an environment for that. Um, Greenville did a decent job in the NPSL. Chattanooga, I mean, they're known across the country for the environment that they have at their games. Now on the other end of the spectrum, we definitely had Nashville and Georgia and the Silverbacks, eh, you know, they, they had the, their ultras and their few fans. But other than that, it was kind of desolate within Silverback Park. And and then once they moved to that high school, it was definitely a little desolate. Well, what is the environment? What, what's, you know, what, what are the what does the Cardinal Collective bring to the game day um, experience at NCFC U23s? The uh, the environment is definitely a mixed bag from team to team. Uh I'd be remiss not to talk about Lions Bridge in this situation as they're really the uh, taking the lead of like the supporters culture and a pack stand at an amateur level. Um, I think they have the highest attendance last year, possibly in league two history. Um, They they're doing a wonderful thing uh, up in Virginia and are really the banner waivers. The, the, uh, they're taking the torch. Um, for this division in the uh the triangle area it's 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 a little 
more rocky with having teams like North Carolina FC, the first team, and uh, the NC Courage uh, playing usually the same weekend that a U23 mm-hmm. game is playing. Mm-hmm. So the attendance is not the strong suit, uh, but we have about 10 to 15 people come out from um, the other supporters groups for NCFC. Uh, we kind of sit on a hill. Uh, if you've ever been to the uh, into a uh, Oak City United game, there's a hill by the field two um, that you don't have to go in for. And we sit back there on the hill. We have our own beer. We tailgate back there. And it's more of a um, more of a hangout than a strong supporter section right now. And as we're trying to build up the attendance for that, uh, we're hoping to bring more drums in and get the chanting, light smoke next year. Um, we're only going into our second year of existence. So it's still kind of in that growing phase. Mm-hmm. And Zach L and in Durham. So I kind of say it's been kind of, it's varied from year to year. Uh, this past year was a little interesting with uh, the first two games being over at Duke university uh, as our stadium was under renovation uh, for the beginning of the summer there, but it, it's kind of been different. The Brightly Battalion is the, like the official supporters group out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been kind of quiet here recently, only since uh, it, it was four to five members that were really strong. They both had big family, all had big families that would come out to games the first three seasons. And then two of the guys actually moved, moved away for out of state for work. So, you know, there's, you know, two of the big members involved for group that have left. And then beginning of 2019, one of the third members, actually, he moved away as well. Him and his family moved out of state for work as well. So then it kind of left two, two of the head guys that were kind of like original founding fathers of the supporters group over here. But um, last year, the three guys that were in charge all actually had kids. Or right at the same time, right before the season started. <laughs> so last year was a, you know, they all would come to every game, but it would, you know, it'll be a little more quiet since they all. I mean, some of the guys already had kids before, but you know, when you come out to games with your wife and your kids, and you, you know, bring a baby, it's a little bit of a different atmosphere. But it's uh, with, with keeping a lot of the same players, it's good to see the same friends and family come. Um, but I, I don't know. But attendance for Tobacco Road has kind of gone down each year, it seems like. Uh, but there's definitely a big boost uh, whenever Wake FC or NCFC under 23s came to town, which is good to see. But it's not as lively as a Asheville or Lionsbridge game. Is is there a consistency in table position from year to year? Do, do the Dynamo slash Fusion, NCFC, do, do they tend to finish towards the top? You know, maybe because they are grooming their players coming up through the academy or maybe they just have a better pedigree and they can pull from those Greensboro Triangle area colleges. Whereas maybe Tobacco Road and Wake are a little bit newer and have a little bit of trouble. Or is it and we'll kind of talk about this in a second with the Deep South. Is it just kind of a crapshoot every year? I'll speak actually for the fusion in 2017, they weren't. I believe they weren't that good that year, and I think they finished uh, near the end of the table. And then 2018, 2019, they kind of picked it up. But uh, similar to NCFC, they actually 2019 earlier this year, they actually uh, they in the past they've actually been the Carolina Dynamo, uh, which branding has been around for over 20 years and was in kind of the old 
USL pro mm-hmm. uh, leagues that were when they were D3 in the past. And then they had a relationship with the Fusion that were actually out of Greensboro. Um, so then there was, you know, that relationship there. And then earlier this year, they uh, just changed their names to NC Fusion under 23. And then they kind of did a similar thing that NCFC did two years ago. And they uh, combined one of their two of their kind of academies together with another team in Winston-Salem. So now this past year, they kind of did a really good job of, um, I believe, that of bringing players back who have played with them uh, in high school and stuff beforehand. So now I believe that their academy overall grew a little bit since they have, you know, a teams that went to uh, in Greensboro and some teams in Winston-Salem, which is pretty cool to see, but they're really good this year. Um, and after kind of the whole rebrand and, and uh, I think they wanted to kind of restructure how they did things. Uh, I mean, their women's team as well was mm-hmm. phenomenal and, and very professional. I mean, they, they were, I believe this year they just kind of went a brand new direction. And the guys over, uh, Chris and goose over at, uh, amateur Am- hour, I yeah. believe they had an interview with one of the coaches over there, uh, kind of talking about their structure and everything they're doing this year. But I mean, they, I believe they have been one of the better teams in the past two years of just kind of rebuilding themselves and actually having a idea of what they want to do with their under 23 teams. But I'd say that anywhere else has kind of been crazy. Myrtle Beach Muni, uh, and the, I mean, every single year they've been around. I mean, they have been phenomenal. I mean, they weren't in the league this year, uh, but the years past, and even in the NPSL, I mean, they've won their division every single time, mm-hmm. and they've been a really good team. Uh, but they're not around anymore. Uh, the Charlotte Eagles were they were in the Deep South this year, but I mean, in 2017 they won the PDO National Championship, mm-hmm. which was pretty big. And I don't think they were. I don't think they finished top of the table that year, but NCFC has always kind of been really good as well. Tobacco Road always kind of finished at the bottom of the table. Uh, Lionsbridge has always been a steady team and kind of finishes mid table, maybe near the top. But, and then Virginia beach was new this year. So I wonder how they're going to kind of rebound for next year, but I, you know, it's a, it's a short league with only 14 uh, games in it. So, you know, it kind of just seems to be whatever team shows up that night, uh, can win any game so yeah I'd, I'd have to agree, agree with a lot of that um uh, the with the with the south atlantic that the teams really seem to be at a fairly equal level overall and it's kind of like zach just said it's who shows up that night is it, it's kind of what comes who, who puts away the right chances and so i think there, it's a very well balanced league with i mean division with um with, with like the exceptions of of like Wake FC and Virginia Beach, who Virginia Beach finished in a good spot on the table, but just like kind of as unknowns uh, since they're uh, just coming into into the division. Yeah, the thing that I think really amazes me is that the goal differentials aren't quite what you would think they would be. Um, Wake FC finished in last, and so they that a goal differential that kind of represented that negative um, ten. But from the top to the bottom, six two zero zero two zero, that really you know indicates a lot of parity in general there. Yeah, um, NCFC U twenty three last year uh, didn't draw a single game. It was all wins and losses, and <laughs> usually by two or three goals in either direction. 
what, what can you guys tell me about the Deep South? If I had to guess, if, if the USL was just kind of lazy and when they have their AGM or whatever, AOM or whatever on earth they want to call it down in Orlando in December, and, and they want to get lazy, the most logical thing for them to do would just be to shove Asheville into the Deep South division. That division from top to bottom of the table this past year which was a little less um, competitive. The top two teams kind of ran away with it. But it was South Georgia Tormenta 2, SC United Bantams, which we played a friendly with and drew them. Um, Dalton Red Wolves SC, Charlotte Eagles, Discoveries XC, and Peachtree City MOBA. That's only six clubs. They still played 14 games, which again is kind of crazy to me. But it, it would make a lot of sense just to go ahead and drop Asheville right in there. Um, down, I, I think Statesboro is about a four and a half, five hour drive from Asheville. So it would kind of make sense. That's basically what it is to Virginia Beach, if not a little bit longer to Virginia Beach. But other than that, Atlanta, we're used to going down there. Discovery, Charlotte, you know, both Charlotte-based clubs. Dalton isn't that far. It's a heck of a lot closer than um, Chattanooga. And then Columbia is just down the street. I know we've been um, joking around in Slack and on Twitter kind of about um, One Carolina and joking around about how we could really create kind of an awesome division if we shoved all these Carolina teams into one. Now, North Carolina specifically, but you're kind of leaving Virginia, you know, out on the outliers. You're kind of leaving some of those Atlanta teams and Dalton out on the outliers. So I seriously doubt that would happen. But what can you tell me about the Deep South, you know, just in case we end up in there? Zach, I'll, I'll let you go first. Okay. Well, I agree with you on the. Uh, I was kind of I was looking over the divisions and seeing kind of trying to figure out where things would fall, assuming that there aren't any more teams uh, to be announced uh, in the off season. And the kind of thought we've been talking about in Slack was that kind of would be nice to push the Virginia teams north, but both of the the Northeast and the uh, Mid Atlantic division are at eight teams, mm-hmm. um, so their seasons are balanced and they're very highly unlikely that they would add any teams. Uh, going that direction. Uh, so I think we're stuck with the Virginia teams for now and the <laughs> South Atlantic. And to go, and I'll get to the Deep South in a second, but I wanted to say it, it might actually make more sense for Asheville to come into the South Atlantic because it would balance our schedule out. And so instead of USL League 2 having two divisions that are unbalanced schedules, they could make one of them balanced and then the other one could still be unbalanced. So oh, there yeah. there's a little bit of some wiggle room of talking about where Asheville could slide into. Mm-hmm. Um, now the deep South, I really don't know much about because I don't follow it that much. I know Tormenta two is a very strong um, Academy USL league Two, USL league one structure. They uh, um, uh, just top down uh, top, top to bottom are a very well-organized uh, group. Um, I know Discoveries is rebranding to Independence SC. Um, they're now under the umbrella of the Charlotte Independence. And um, that's about as much as I know about the Deep South. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll throw my two cents in here. But um, just from what I've you know kind of kept up with in the past, uh, Petrie City MOBA, they're just kind of an unknown in Atlanta uh, with having you know the silverbacks is one of the other uh lower division teams in the city that kind of gets more of the the coverage compared to other teams there and with Atlanta united in town but they have their own cool little setup uh they have they've had a wpsl team for a few years now 
Um, they are very much on that path to path to pro uh, <laughs> model that the league likes to throw out there all the time. But they have never really been that good. I mean, look in the standings now uh, for 2019. I mean, they only finished with seven points. Mm-hmm. But they seem to kind of like they like to seem to like they like to play the kids and play some of their kids that like to come back in the summertime. Now I don't know how large their youth structure is as a whole, you know, with some of the other big clubs in town. But they've never really been that good. Like Zach said, South Georgia has been really good the past three years. I mean, with having a League One team now, and I mean, last year that team was phenomenal, and then a lot of those guys went on to become to sign pro deals with the League One team, and then it seems like they had that same philosophy with their League Two team this year was that they wanted to, you know, sign some strong guys and. You know, if you perform well during the season and maybe you're out of school or something, you know, they might want to try to sign you. And they, I, I kept up with them a little bit during the League One season. It seemed like they, after the League Two season ended, they, I think they signed one to three guys that were on their hmm. uh, League Two team this year. So if that kind of says anything about, I guess, who they're looking to bring in. But I mean, they finished off of the table. Uh, South Carolina United Bandos have always been pretty good i know that they have a good coaching staff over there and they opened up a cool little stadium outside of the city there that you know they had a great environment the past two years there so i know they're doing great things and they're looking to try to build that path to pro model as well of uh you know kids coming through academies and then going off to school and then coming back in the summertime but they're kind of a team that uh just like kind of actual does they you know have a couple international guys on their team that are here playing college soccer in the seasons and they're from Europe. So I don't know if that is just the European player just kind of being better uh, prepared for in the high school age compared to kids here in the States. Um, if that's why they're that kind of good, but then Dawn was brand new this year and they're going to be a wild card. Uh, just, just from what I can read on Reddit, you know, Dawn had really good high school soccer teams there mm-hmm. and they didn't really seem to have any major club teams there in the area but i don't know if being with the chattanooga red wolves branding if that had anything to do with it but i mean they finished third uh i believe this was charlotte eagles like first year kind of finishing mid mid table um i believe that they have a new coaching staff this past season and i don't know if that had anything to do with that but and then the discoveries i feel like the discoveries even in their npsl days have always been really bad uh i think i think I don't know, Tim. Were they in the NPSL, Asheville's first year in the NPSL? No, the what was it, Carolina FC? Yeah, it was. That's what it was. It was Carolina FC Discoveries, or yeah. something mm-hmm. weird like that. Like they were just kind of that. I mean, Johnny always used to give them crap on Slack all the time about that. <laughs> you know, they just they would never tweet about any of their games, and then they would be off online for like two to three weeks at a time, and then they would pop up. You know they're at a game or something you know so they were just such an unknown back then and it seems like they're doing better now but i mean they have it seems like on the field they have never really been that good anyways but i i think with the new we can talk about this as well with the charlotte independence and how they're into that branding um maybe they'll restructure themselves this coming up here but uh i mean they've they've never seemed to be that good either from a branding standpoint and an organizational standpoint the since 2016, they seem to be moving in the right direction. So it's on the field. It 
they haven't been that good. Awesome. Well, we've ran a little bit long, guys, but I very, very, very much appreciate this kind of crash course in the USL League 2, um, South Atlantic and Deep South divisions. I, I could not be more excited. I'm, I'm still eating crow for lunch every day at work. Um, I, I'm, you know, got my boat shoes on. But um, guys, thank you both. Zach L, Zach H, I appreciate it. And uh, maybe catch you guys at a game this summer. Absolutely. Ho- hopefully we're Absolutely. all in the same division together. So we can, <laughs> we can, we can try and make some games. Definitely. Guys, thank you so much. Absolutely. Cheers. I guess that's why they call us the blues. Time on our hands could be time spent with bruise. Drinking like tourists, yelling like drunkards, scoring some stunners. listening to the you're smarter than us podcast shoot us an email at you're smarter than us at gmail.com or find us on twitter at y-o-u-r-e underscore smarter